0: Today on Crossroads in Culture, we're looking at the sixth statement of Jesus from the cross when he said, it is finished. So as Jesus uttered these last words, we know he is at the very end of his life on the cross. But what does he mean when he says, it is finished? We're going to be discussing that today on Crossroads in Culture. Hey guys, thanks so much again for joining me for another episode on Crossroads and Culture, where life, ministry, and culture meet. If you've been walking with me through this for the past several days, we have been looking at the seven statements of Christ from the cross. We've already talked about five of those statements. Today we're looking at the sixth statement that Jesus made from the cross. And we find it in the Gospel of John again, John chapter 19, uh, verse 30. Just one verse and three words that Jesus uttered from the cross as he is at the end of his life on this earth, dying on the cross for the sins of the world. So we find these words in John chapter 19, verse 30. If you have your Bible or your Bible app and you're able to do so, you can look at that. Uh, If not, as always, I will read this text to us. And then we're going to talk about what was Jesus meaning by this statement that he makes and how is this significant for us and how is it in the statement he does make That we can find hope in life's darkest moments. So in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 30, here's what John writes. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now there's one other statement that we'll look at tomorrow that Jesus makes before he breathes his last breath. But this is the second to last statement, and it is the phrase it is finished. Now in the Greek language the word for finished is the word uh, to telestai. To telestai means that that something has become fully completed. Perhaps the process, but it has become fully completed, it is completely accomplished or it has been perfected. So what Jesus was saying on the cross when he said it is finished, he is saying that the work he's done, this redemptive work that he has done has been completely accomplished. It has become fully completed, and it has become perfected. So what was finished? He's referring to the redemptive work that he did for us on the cross. In other words, uh, Jesus atoned, or another way of saying atoned, or that word atonement means that Jesus made payment for our sin so that we might be reconciled to God. So Jesus atoned for our sin, that we might be brought back into a right relationship with God. Now remember, it's because of sin that we have been separated from God. So that which was in the beginning, how God went went in the Garden of Eden when he created Adam and Eve, they had this perfect relationship with him, with God. There was nothing that they did not experience um, in relationship to God the only thing they were told not to do, they, were, they could enjoy everything in the garden, but the only thing they were told they could not do was to, was to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said that in the day that they eat of that, if they were to eat of that tree, that they would experience death, not just physical death, but spiritual death. And so when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, at that point, sin separated humanity from God. So it was broken. So reconciled is means to bring back together what has been separated or what's um, what's not no longer together, what's been broken apart. To reconcile means to bring back together. So when Jesus said, it is finished, he's saying that everything that was required in order for us to be redeemed or reconciled to God, all that was required has been completed. That Jesus had made payment for our sin that we might be reconciled to God. Now... The other aspect of that is that God's wrath poured out on sin was satisfied in the death of Jesus. So Jesus saying it is finished, it is finished in that God's wrath, his complete wrath poured out on sin, was now satisfied in the death of Jesus. Now, I know some would say, well, what kind of God is this that he would pour out wrath on his son? Well, going back and looking at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. Here's what Isaiah says. He says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus, and he has put him, Jesus, to grief. And when he, when his soul, referring to Jesus' soul, makes an offering for our guilt. Again, but what kind of God is this that would require the sacrifice of his son? Well, we need to remember that God is not only a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And you can't be a God who is a God of love without being a God of justice. God is fully loving and fully just. And it is there that we see that that justice and mercy collided, or kissed, or love and justice collided on the cross. And because God is just, he demanded a just payment for sin, sin being rebellion against God. It's what separated us from God. And so God would pour out his wrath on sins. That's why Jesus took our sin upon himself. He was willing to 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 take our place on the cross and to take the wrath of the father on our behalf. And so because Jesus was the sinless sacrifice, he was able to do that. He was an acceptable sacrifice to God. So God's wrath poured out on sin was satisfied in the death of Jesus. So all that was required and all that had been prophesied concerning the death of Jesus was now fulfilled. Um, which means that the penalty of sin has been paid. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 Paul writes this when he says that the wages of sin is death. So the penalty for sin is death, but the the next part of that verse is but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's the hope in this in this verse. It's that's the hope in the gospel that we have that even though the penalty of our sin is death, The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, that key phrase, in Christ Jesus, that it is in Christ that we can have life now and life to come, in the life that is to come, everlasting life. And it's all because he had met the requirements, that he had fulfilled all the prophecies concerning his death. Um, That's why we talked about yesterday, this this phrase when, when Jesus said two words, I thirst, that At the surface, you would think, well, what significance does do these two words have? Well, it has a lot of significance. One is we talked about the, the fact that Jesus physically was thirsty, more than likely, because of all that he had gone through, that his body was in shock because of blood loss, he would lost a lot of bodily fluids um, because of the heat of the sun uh, that was beating down as he was being crucified on the cross. But then also the fact that he was thirsting and longing for the presence of his father. Because remember, Jesus had been forsaken while he was on the cross. But these two words, these two words, I thirst, he was also fulfilling the scriptures because of what we saw in the book of Psalms. So, so everything that was prophesied regarding Jesus or concerning Jesus and his death has now been fulfilled, which is why Jesus said, it is finished to telestai in the Greek language, it's fully completed, it is fully accomplished, it has been fully perfected. So Jesus made payment for our sin that we could be reconciled to God, but also God's wrath poured out on sin was satisfied in the death of Jesus, and now what sin had separated, God reconciled. And we see that in Scripture. In, In Luke chapter 23, Verses 44 through 45, here's what the gospel says. It says, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now, that's from noon until 3 p.m., as we talked about. And it said, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, you're going to see this phrase repeated uh, repeated rather about the, the temple and the curtain in the temple being torn in two and I'm going to explain that in just a minute. So that was Luke chapter 23 verses 44 and 45. In Mark chapter 15 verse 37 and 38, we see Mark's gospel record this record this as well that and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then we see also in the book of Matthew chapter 27 verses 51 through 54 says this. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep that word, fallen asleep, that phrase rather, means that they had died. Uh, at a previous time. They were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, can you imagine being the people who are seeing these who have died, these saints who have died in the past, now coming back to life? The the fact that their bodies were resurrected uh, when Jesus died. uh, I, I mean, you talk about like Okay, I'm good. I'm with you. Whatever you say, I'm going to believe, right? So that's what happens. And then it goes on to say when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the son of God. Now, when you hear this in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew about the the temple uh, the curtain in the temple was being torn, was torn in two rather, from top to bottom, that is hugely significant. So let me explain a little bit of this. In the Old Testament, before the temple was built, okay, there was the tabernacle. The tabernacle was what Moses was given instructions by God to construct that would travel with them as they journeyed um, from um, in the wilderness before they went into the promised land and before the temple would have been built. And so in the tabernacle, you had two chambers. You had what was called the holy place. And in the holy place, as you walk in past the brazen altar in the courtyard area, and, and this, this laver where the washing of the priest would be, they would pull back the curtain and go into the first area of the tabernacle that was known as the holy place. And as you look to the right, there would be the table of the bread of presence. Then to the left would be the lampstand that would shed light. We have light into the, into the tabernacle. And then you would also see the altar of incense. Now, right before you go into the second compartment, which would be the most holy place, and only the high priest could go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement um, to to splatter blood on the mercy seat that was seated at, on the Ark of the Covenant, that between the the altar of incense, where they would burn incense that would represent the prayers of the people that would go up before God as a pleasing aroma, there was this thick curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place and in the most holy place was the ark of the covenant and on it was seated the mercy seat and and so this curtain was separated and what it represented was that we don't we don't have access to the presence of God apart from a mediator apart from a, a high priest who would go in and make and make sacrifice and splatter the blood on the mercy seat on behalf of the people. And so this veil was a separation. And it was symbolic of the fact that that we're separated from a holy God and that we need someone to be a mediator, someone who would, who would be the go-between, who would be our high priest. In the temple, it was the same thing, that there would be the temple, the curtain, that would separate um, the holy place from the most holy place, from the holy of holies. And so now when Jesus dies this temple this this curtain rather in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. It's not torn from the bottom to the top as though we as mankind could tear it and it would go up to God. No, there's no way that we could do that. It is torn from the top to the bottom which is this incredible symbolic gesture of that God made a way of ripping this veil that he initiated this through Jesus Christ who was our sacrifice but also understand this Jesus is our high priest so now because of Jesus' death and also because of his resurrection which would happen as well on the the first day of the week on what we celebrate for resurrection sunday because of what Jesus has done for us he is our high priest and now he is our mediator; that he is the one who goes before us, and he he is the one who reconciles us to God. No longer is there anything that separates us from God, because now in Christ, for those of us who placed our faith and trust in Jesus, we now have access to the Father through Christ. There is nothing that separates us. So you see this this temple, the curtain in the temple being torn from top to bottom. It is God saying, "I have." Torn what separates us, and now you have access to me through my son, Jesus. So what sin separated, God has reconciled in Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture the gospel is. In Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes this. He says, all this is from God, now catch this, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? Well, that means we have been reconciled to God, obviously through Christ, but also for us as believers in Jesus, that God has given us the ministry to share with other people how they can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So maybe as you're listening to this, you, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, and your sin still separates you from God. But because of what Christ has done, He has made a way through Jesus for you to be reconciled to God. And so, one of the things that i want to do is be a minister of reconciliation in the fact that or in the sense that that i share with you that there is a way that you can know god and be in relationship with god and it is through jesus christ i can't reconcile you that's already been done jesus has already taken care of that that he is the one who reconciles us to god so when jesus said it's finished he was referring to the redemptive work of uh, that he that he did on the cross he atoned or paid for our sin so that we could be reconciled to god that no longer would sin separate us because of what Christ has done. But also what we see in Jesus' death when he says it is finished, it's 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 God's exclamation point on the death of death. So the death of Jesus was was God's exclamation point on the death of death. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 54 and verse 55. He writes death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? It's as though there's this mocking of death because death no longer has hold of us because Christ has defeated death. So this is God's exclamation point. It's emphasis on on the death of death. So really what's what's being said here when Jesus makes the statement that it is finished, He's saying that death has been conquered. Now here's what we need to know. We know that there's physical death that we're all going to face short of Jesus Christ coming back before we do breathe our last breath because he is coming back. We just don't know when, but he is coming. So short of us being caught up in the air with him at his coming, every single one of us is going to face physical death. And here's what I know to be true, that death may have its moment, but it does not have the final say. Jesus has the final say. So when I think about those who have lost loved ones, and I've lost family members and loved ones um, to, to death, physical death, and, and it is it is hard. We grieve over that. But for those who I know, I'm thinking about my grandparents who have passed on from this life and are now in the very presence of, of, of God, um, I know, I, I can have this hope. Uh, and whenever they passed away, I was able to grieve as, as, as those with hope because death did not have the final say for them. And the reason I know that to be true is because Jesus conquered death. So my grandparents uh, and, and others who I know who, who had placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, even though they died physically, they're more alive now than they've ever been. And death may have its moment, and it is sorrowful. We grieve, and we should grieve. That's part of the process of healing. But for those who have died, who are in Christ, who have pl- had placed their faith and trust in Jesus, we grieve for them, but we don't grieve as those without hope. And here's why. Because even though death may have its moment, it doesn't have the final say. And some of you may have lost loved ones recently to cancer. Maybe some of you lost a loved one due to COVID um, and had complications either because they had um pre-existing conditions, or, or maybe there were other reasons um, that led to and contributed to their, to their death with COVID. And, and, and I grieve uh, over that with you. And, I, and, and I, know, I know what it's like to lose a loved one uh, to cancer, to disease. And it is difficult. And some of you perhaps are still struggling with this. And maybe the one whom you've lost was a follower of Jesus. You absolutely should grieve. That is how God wired us uh, it's healthy for us to grieve in a, in a grieve in a healthy way. But for those whom you may have lost who are, followers, who are followers of Jesus, just know this, that even though death had its moment, it did not have the final say, because Jesus does. And here's why we know that to be true. Because the empty tomb proclaims this. If the cross is the death of death, then the empty tomb is the confident hope of a resurrected and new life so there's a double exclamation point at the empty tomb because if the cross is the death of death the empty tomb is the confident hope of a resurrected and new life and god is all about resurrection he desires to resurrect that which is that which is dead and has no life maybe you would say you know what i'm a follower of christ but i feel like i've been i've been living in sin and i have I feel, I feel so distant from God, and I feel, I feel as though I'm dead. Even though you're a true believer in Christ, you're a follower of Christ, you're not dead spiritually. You have life spiritually, but you have been distant from God, and you just feel as though you're dying. Well, God is into resurrections. He wants to resurrect something in you, and He wants you to experience the joy of the new life you have in Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then you are dead in sin. And the beauty of the gospel is that you no longer have to remain dead in sin, that because of Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection that we celebrate and we remember this coming Sunday, you too can be resurrected. He wants to give you new life. And that's great news because what dead people need most is life. What spiritually dead people need most is spiritual life. And so when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, what he was saying was it's fully completed, it's fully accomplished, it's fully perfected. Everything that was needed to be done to secure the death of death, everything that was needed to be done to fulfill the prophecies of Scripture, everything that was needed to be done to reconcile to God what sin had separated has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. It is finished, and no longer does there need to be sacrifice for sin. No longer does Jesus have to die again on the cross. He died once and for all. And so as we think about this and this sixth statement that Jesus made, and as you're listening to this, my hope is that you can rest in the hope that this gives us uh, in life's darkest moments, this hope we can have That even though we may face deaths, and some of you maybe right now you you are have been diagnosed with with cancer and it's terminal, and you're listening, or maybe you have a family member, and, and as you're thinking through this, it's a dark moment for you. But know this: that in Christ and what Christ did on the cross and being raised from the dead, he gives us hope in life's darkest moments. Death does not have the final say. Jesus does. Well, I hope that as you've listened to this today, that you have been encouraged um, in what we have been offered in Christ. That death doesn't have the final say, and that you would share this hope as a minister of reconciliation. That you, as a follower of Jesus, would share this gospel hope with people, with friends, family members, you know, coworkers who who aren't followers of Jesus, who are just existing and not really living, who are spiritually dead and whose greatest need is spiritual life. I hope you will take seriously being a minister of reconciliation and pointing them to the one who reconciles us to God, and that is Jesus Christ. And to rest in this truth that we no longer um, are denied access to God, but because the veil was torn, Because of what Christ did, he is our high priest, and we have access to God the Father. When you read God's word, you can hear what God's saying. You can experience his presence. And even though right now, as Paul writes in the scriptures, we see, as in a mirror dimly, there's coming a day where we'll see him face to face. But until that time, God has given us, as followers of Jesus, his spirit who dwells in us, and we can experience the presence of God, the presence of Christ, experience this life that he has given us, And it gives us much hope. So I hope this has been encouraging to you as you've listened. Again, share this with your friends and family members, those who are uh, followers on your social media um, uh, platforms, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you may have that you want to post this on. I encourage you to do that um, because I really do pray that this gospel message and the hope of this gospel message um, would not only be heard by other people, but they would come to the reality and the knowledge that they need Jesus Christ as their Savior. Thanks so much for taking time to listen to this episode, uh, and I hope you will join me tomorrow as we complete um, the last statement that Jesus made from the cross as we've gone through the seven statements, that you would join me tomorrow as we look at this last statement and see the hope that we could have in life's darkest moments. So thanks for listening. to this episode of Crossroads and Culture, and I look forward to you joining me again tomorrow. Have a great day.